Hey everyone, and welcome to the Dark Cast. This is DCI number 79, and I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. In this episode, we get to talk to Ryan Payton, who is the founder of Camouflage Studios and the project leader for Republic, which is a, an iOS stealth action game, and it is coming to PC under the guise of Republic Remastered. Uh, we get to talk about the, the game, the port. Uh, we also discuss kind of the, the nitty-gritty details of doing a Kickstarter campaign, as well as have a pretty in-depth conversation about the whole Peter Molyneux fiasco that's been in the news the last couple of weeks. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to find out more information about Republic, then head on over to darkstation.com. You can find links to the Steam page on the show notes for this episode. You can follow us on Twitter to find out when other interviews are going live, and you can always subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. While you're there, give us a review and let us know what you think of the show. Finally, you can send us an email at podcast at darkstation.com. As always, thank you for listening. Now on with the show. tonight. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. And, and full disclosure to anybody that's listening to this, I may gush a little bit here because I backed this Kickstarter project for Republic and I've listened to all of uh, Ryan's podcast for Camouflage. So if I get a little nerdy, I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> but that may happen uh, because well, we're, we're gamers too. Uh, <laughs> They're making me blush. But, uh, hey, you know, that's I'm trying to. I'm I, Not really. I, I can't see you, so I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. But, uh, but you know, it is, it's always kind of weird. I've never been in a position where I get to be on a podcast with somebody that I've listened to their podcast. So it's a, it's a new experience. Oh, cool. Yeah, well, you, um, <laughs> it doesn't have to be the last time either, you know. That is true. That is true. Well, uh, we are here to talk Ooh. about uh, Republic, or Republic, as they say in the game itself, um, but before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about who you are and what you do at Camouflage Studios. Yeah, so uh, I'm Ryan, and uh, yeah, I work at, at Camouflage here in uh, in the Seattle area in the states. And uh, yeah, some, and I ask myself this almost every day, like, what do I do here? Uh, because I look around, uh, we have about 25 uh, you know, men and women working at the studio, and they all seem to be really busy. I'm looking at them right now, actually. And then I, I look at me, and I'm usually just kind of running around. Uh, you know, talking to people, uh, making sure everything is like going smoothly, and making sure that this guy's talking to this guy. So, you know, in a sense, like I came up with the initial vision for the game. Um, I've spent a lot of time recruiting and building the studio, and uh, I do a lot of biz dev, you know, meetings and, and different, you know, travel um, from to various places. So I kind of just kind of just run the gamut. Um, the one thing I don't do is actually work in Unity and actually build the game, which is kind of a uh, Something I'm not super proud of, but um, there's only there's only twenty there's only twenty four hours in the day, you know. That's and we true. have much more talented people working on it right now. You don't Standing want me on the backs of the talent. Yeah, exactly. I applaud you, sir. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but it's it's absolutely true. Like I I kind of don't really have any talents outside of just um I I think I've I've grown in my ability to in in storytelling and and uh, in understanding like the fundamentals of game design. But I wish I could apply them in a more practical like you know tangible sense and. It's just something that I've never had the opportunity to do. I kind of skipped that stage, 
and I don't know if you guys find this interesting or not, but absolutely, yeah. In Go the for it. in the you know growing up and you, when you talk to you know folks in the game industry and you see like oh you know, they're, they're running their own studio or they're 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 creative director. There's all these different like really more kind of elite uh, positions in the industry that you kind of dream about you know achieving one day. Um, they always tell you the same thing like you you got to start with like you know from the bottom you know you got to start. You'll do QA and you do test, and maybe you start mm-hmm. level designing or, or systems design or something like that. Um, and I guess I was, I was, I guess I was fortunate. I mean, I it's 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 bad that I, I skipped all those those steps, but I did. When I was at Konami, um, I, when I was working on Metal Gear, I, I totally skipped like ten years of of like training in terms of like how to be you know a director or whatever. I was just really thrown into into you know a situation and just had to like kind of learn how to swim really quickly. And so, uh, in a sense, I'm, I was really fortunate. And then I found myself at 28 years old as creative director on Halo 4, like not knowing <laughs> what I was I was doing. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of my my career in a nutshell, really. That's awesome. Hey, that gives hopes for for the rest of us that can't code and we say we want to make video games. It's like, hey, somebody did it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Just move to Japan, learn Japanese, and uh, yeah, you'll be able to skip a bunch of like yeah, a bunch of positions in the in the. Uh, just just to the fact that you are this weird anomaly that people don't know what to do with. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, well, so h- how did you actually get into the the job at Konami? Did you study any sort of video game stuff in college, or how did how did all that work out? Yeah, so I um I I actually was I studied Japanese and and, and Chinese and and business while I was in college. I tried to be a I tried to be a computer science major, and I failed miserably at that. So I shift majors, uh, graduated, decided I was going to go to Japan um, with this program called the JET program, which is about, it's a Japanese government-sponsored uh, program that uh, they, they send people from around the world to help their junior high and high school kids uh, learn English from a native speaker. So you're kind of like a teacher's assistant for like a one- to three-year contract, more or less. Hmm. And so I was sent to Japan, and it's a very rural part of the country. Uh, and I could, I'll save like the longer version of the story for another time, but um, I was... I was re- extremely bored and extremely lonely uh, when I moved out there, and I kind of fell back on my writing that I was doing at college, which was I was working at, a, at, at the school newspaper writing video game reviews. I sent those to a magazine called XBN or Xbox Nation magazine, and I got a gig as the Japanese correspondent for Xbox, which, as you can imagine, is not the most exciting beat in the world, uh, <laughs> but I made the most of it and, uh, and started to kind of just uh, build a, a freelance uh, video game writing career. Uh, as a journalist, and that, that brought me to uh, E3 2005, uh, where I had the, this off chance of interviewing Hideo Kojima for uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence. And after that inter- interview, he had, uh, he had come to find that I, I actually understood everything he was saying in that, in that interview. Um, and he said, like, why did, you, why, did, why did you, okay, A, why did you like, not tell me you could speak Japanese? And B, like, are you available? Because I, 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 need, I need a bilingual person to join Kojima Productions. And would you be willing to come in for an, a job interview? And I was like, whoa, okay. And uh, again, long story short, uh, I got the job and uh, started off as a quote-unquote international manager, mostly kind of helping coordinate between Japan, the Metal Gear team, and then Konami America and then Konami Europe on box art, packaging, manuals, PR you know, requests for Hideo, translating his blog, and doing basically anything and everything to try to kind of keep the machine moving when it comes to like the international coordination that's required. Hmm. Very cool. That's pretty impressive to me. Yeah. Basically picked up off the street by Kojima. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, so talk about a crazy chance encounter. In fact, like to make it even more, I think, interesting or impressive uh, in terms of just how <laughs> unlikely of a story it is, is that uh, my boss at the time, or one of my bosses, one of the editors of, of OneUp.com that I was writing for was James Milkey. And, mm-hmm. and he, he might slept in or he overbooked or something. And he called me. I don't know why he had my number, but he called me and says, Ryan, I'm going to miss my interview with Hideo. You need to do it for me. And so <laughs> I, I just ran over there and just did it quickly. And I just finished Metal Gear Solid 3 like a month before that and just loved the game. So I was very ready to do that interview. And if, if James had you know, made his interview or if he didn't sleep in or whatever ended up being the case, if that didn't happen, I, my whole life would be different. You know? Wow. That's, what you didn't know is that nuts. Revolver Ocelot himself was standing behind James when he made that call. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> enough Metal Gear to know that everything's a conspiracy. Yep. You're everything's a double, triple cross. Yeah. Yep. Uh, no, I, it was probably ac- actually Liquid Snake in James's arm that There's was just the arguing arm was doing with him. It? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And 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 maybe that can also explain like why all of a sudden James Milky's accent changed to like a, like a very uh, astute <laughs> yep. like British man. So. Yes. We, we figured it out. Fantastic. Uh, that's that's what we do. Here. Years we, later, we break pieces stories. fall into place. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, so you you worked on Metal Gear Solid Four. Uh, did you see that to completion? Or I did. Yeah, okay. that was that was the the one game. Well, actually, there was a couple couple games when I was at Konami that I saw from start to finish. Hmm. But that was the big one, obviously. Sure. And so you said you went from there to doing Halo Four. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, after shipping Metal Gear Solid 4, I had accrued about three and a half months of paid time off based on how much overtime we were working. And so I went home to the Seattle area and uh, was going to kind of contemplate my future and then um, had kind of a family situation, so I, I needed to leave Konami. And then the, the day that it was announced on the internet that I was leaving Konami, I had, a, I had an email from a Microsoft recruiter looking for somebody, like for a director of a new Halo project. So... Uh, nice. That was really nice because it was local, so I can kind of still be with the family and uh, and and work at Microsoft. So mm-hmm. yeah, I got that job, and man, what a crazy roller coaster that was! Being on the ground level of three four three industries before it was called three four three industries, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah, going all the way till about a year before ship of uh, of Halo Four. How different was that game a year before ship to what came out? Um, honestly, and I've been really careful about what I say about Halo for a variety of reasons, but, sure, uh, sure. yeah, I mean, there's, there's some things I can talk about and, and yeah, to be honest, I think when I left, uh, yeah, Halo, the, the missions were more more or less intact. Uh, I think the story was going, undergoing, um, a, a number of different revisions, mm-hmm. um, but there was only so much that could change, um, you know, by the time I had left, uh, and, uh. I don't know. There, there were, I left for you know both personal and professional reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, personal reasons because I had invested way too much of my own, I don't know, my own, I don't know, my soul or whatever into what the vision of the game was, what the story was going to be, what the feature set of the game was going to be, and then when I when I wasn't able to achieve that for you know, you know, for reasons that I that I, I fault you know Microsoft or whatever, and also reasons that I fault myself. Um, it was like I think it was just too much kind of to bear. Like I needed to s- separate myself away from that project. Um, having been able to play the final product, I think the team did a really great job on executing on that game. That was a really, really, really hard game to develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's uh, it's something that I'm really still like emotionally attached to, and kind of hard to look back at Halo still. <laughs> Metal Gear, I, I'm fine I can imagine. 
you know, I, I, I'm still like crazy hardcore fan of Metal Gear. Play everything on day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can enjoy it like the rest of us. But uh, yeah, I, I'm still kind of paying for, for the sins that I committed in terms of just putting every single ounce of my soul into that that Halo Four production. Sure. And uh, really setting myself up. You know, when you do that in life, if you you know put your eggs in all in one basket, like you really are setting yourself up for a, a lot of pain and torment unless things go really really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's always kind of interesting because uh, even you know a year out, games can change drastically. I I think it was um, uh, Steve Gaynor did a podcast with uh, some of the guys at Idle Thumbs talking about the uh, Bioshock Infinite, you know, a year before it came out and just how different everything was. Uh, so it's always right. kind of interesting to, to hear if it's, you know, if it was roughly the same game or if everything changed or, you know. Oh, yeah, this, like is a little bit, this is a little bit inside baseball, but uh, the reason why that doesn't surprise me on the Bioshock Infinite side of things is, from what I understand, and this is something that Ken Levine talks about publicly, is that he kind of purposely holds back a lot of the changes and the story changes until mm-hmm. the very until the very end, or keeps iterating on it because he can, and and not because he's just he's an all po- powerful being, but uh, in the sense that uh, the way that they structure their games and all, a lot of it's based on just voiceovers and not necessarily cinematics, is that they can change because it's just it's just voiceover, right? You can right. change voiceover a month before you ship if you really want to, mm-hmm. and and that's what he does. Uh, whereas in a, a project like Halo Four, um, or a project like for example like Uncharted. Um, you need to lock your cinematics a lot earlier than that, right? Sure. That and it sense. actually gets people in a lot, lot of trouble. And that's why, <laughs> um, you know, talk really, really briefly about Republic is like one of the best decisions I ever made, and it was really purely an economical one, was one of the, t- like, our, our version of Otacon or Atlas or whatever, like our kind of tutorial man is, is a guy named Cooper who speaks in text-to-speech, uh, like a robot voice. And I thought it was kind of funny and cute, but also... It's an economical decision because we don't have to hire a voice actor to read all these crazy amounts of lines. Um, but it's also a really, it was a huge win because we could change tutorial text right up until the last day of production. Sure. Have you changed any, have you had to go back and change anything after an episode is already released? Um, we really try not to, to retcon too much. Sure. Uh, but we do, we, we will, we'll add things or we'll improve things, but uh, we try not to change what the fiction was. That's kind of like our, our rule, but... If necessary, there are a couple of things where we realize, oh, this date doesn't line up. We'll go back and change it. And honestly, that doesn't really bother me, and I don't think the fans will really be bothered by that. Sure, and that's, I guess that's less of a, a retcon and, you know, changing what it was and making it correct. I correct, guess. yeah, as so, opposed to, like, changing, like, the original intent. Right. right? It's like, yeah. actually, Cooper's a girl. Whoa! Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> you're right, man. That's the stuff that really gets people. Totally different text-to-speech voice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I would never do that to you guys. <laughs> Uh, so how long have you guys actually been working on uh, Republic? Wait, how long did you, I guess, first, how long did you have between Halo and Republic, and how, when did you guys start working on Republic? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of sad, uh, or impressive, depending on how you look at it, that when all things are said and done, it's going to be about four years uh, from start to finish for me on Republic. And, um, so is it Republic, or is it Republic? It's, it's, it's however you want to say it. <laughs> But I, I've been kind of shifting over time back to Republic uh, for a variety of reasons. But yeah, it's okay. whatever you want, whatever you want to call it. But um, and the t- the, to answer your first question about the time span, uh, when I when I left Microsoft, I, I knew I kind of had a general sense for what the game was going to be. It, it it evolved quite drastically that first year in t- in 2011. Uh, but I wasted no time in, in terms of starting it. 
I remember I was I felt like I was already crunching like a week or two after I, I had quit Microsoft because I had a big presentation uh, with a publisher uh, who was interested in picking up this this game mm-hmm. um, that we never end up obviously signing. So uh, I've been working on it. Yeah, really, I mean, really, really hardcore for four years and not really had a true vacation uh, in between that. Like maybe a, you know a few days here, a few days there, but I haven't really had like turn off everything, you know, go away for a week or two and just kind of relax and unwind. I've I'm still kind of holding out until all five episodes are finished, mm-hmm. and so it's been it's been a, it's been quite the journey. It sounds like it. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, that is a long time to uh, to just be you know buried in, in something like that. That's uh, that's pretty crazy, pretty impressive. Yeah, but uh, well, thank pretty you. crazy it's too. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. It's a, but it's something I enjoy, and that's I think that's one of the most important parts of it. And it's a it's yeah. a world that I really like. Um, working with the team has been just an absolute joy, and even though I'm not making as much money as I used to while I was at Microsoft, like my, my personal happiness is, is so much greater now than it was working on a big AAA title with 401k and full health benefits and mm-hmm. free soda and all the other perks that come with. Uh, oh, you don't on. get free soda? Well, that's... actually, I take that back. We 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 hook the that's the that's the one perk we have at Camouflage. <laughs> we'll go to Costco. We'll pay like that's a ten cents a ten cents a can, you know. But no, it's a. Uh, it's been it's been really really wonderful and uh, yeah and I'm, I'm I'm so proud of what we've created. That's awesome because we we've talked to a number of different uh, developers that you know they've gone from the AAA space to the uh, the indie space and they're they're really working on their first title you know it's Kickstarter's coming up or something like that. Uh, we we haven't really got to talk to anybody that's completed the game or is you know well into the production of the game um, and can say that you know yeah this is makes me so much happier than, than that did. At that point, they're still just kind of scrounging, trying to figure out how to do the whole Kickstarter thing or, or whatnot. Um, so that's, that's good to hear. That's, well, that's yeah, it's, there's just so much anxiety, you know, with, you know, starting your own company and mm-hmm. the Kickstarter side of things. It's, that is just such a stressful, stressful event, um, at least in my life it was. And it seems like a lot, it's very traumatic for a lot of other people that, that yeah, do it. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty par for the course. <laughs> You know, and and you're. I was going to say like not too fast because you're saying oh, it's interesting to talk to somebody who's kind of been through it. Well, I'd like to say that we've been through it, but uh, we're about as, as far as I'm concerned, we're about two thirds of the way through it. So we're 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 over the halfway mark, but we're we still got a lot of work to do. Right, right. But uh, I I feel like the the end is at least in sight for you. It whereas is for for a lot of developers that we're talking to. Uh, you know, early on in the Kickstarter game, everything is, you know, it's concept videos and pen and paper stuff. It's it's not a game yet. So, um... yeah, and I'm so happy to be out of that phase. I got to be honest. <laughs> you know, it's so refreshing to have a foundation, to have the technology there, to have the team there now to like build new episodes on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I really felt like the f- the first the first six or seven years of my career in the games industry was built on. Uh, like honestly, like kind of shaky technology. Uh, you know, the, the the Metal Gear engine was never like in a, a in a great solid state. I you know. And then working on Halo, like the 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 three four three team was not had never shipped Halo before, right? Mm-hmm. And so we were learning that engine, you know. And and then getting to get into Unity and getting the team, like having this whole community of of literally millions of people that that are familiar with Unity, and and starting to build content on top of that. And now it's starting to just focus on the story and the game mechanics and telling new episodes it's i've gone from like having to be in like this weird technology space where technology kept to be it felt like it was kept kept fighting against us to in terms of creating content and now we're just so focused on creating content that 
to me is 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 the best of of, of what we do, and it, for me, it's the most enjoyable part of it. And so I'm really trying to like relish in it before we finish the fi- fifth and final episode, and then we're back to square one. Where, okay, what is this game supposed to be? How does this thing supposed to work? Yeah. Awesome. That's um. That's really cool. And I've just having listened to the podcast, it's been really kind of interesting hearing you guys transition from like one version of Unity to the next, and kind of the challenges there. Um, oh man. So yeah. what 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 was kind of the impetus behind? Uh, Taking since you would, you know you'd worked on Metal Gear Solid, you'd worked on on Halo, which are both console games. What what was the impetus behind doing a, a mobile game? <laughs> yeah, I mean it was uh, the, the impetus behind the 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 mobile first approach was it was a, it was a couple of things, but one of them was I felt like the scope was was agreeable or, or achievable in terms of like what we could create with a smaller team. Mm-hmm. There was no way I was gonna leave Microsoft and try to create a competitive product on console. There was just no way. But there was, there was also, also no, no need to do that as well. Mm-hmm. And the game that was, for me, it was like the seminal, seminal uh, you know, example of like what we want to do was Infinity Blade. Okay. Uh, and Infinity Blade was the first game, I think, on mobile that I really felt as, was not just a, I don't know. Mobile, I still think, is, has, has something of a, of a negative connotation to it. But definitely back in 2011, mobile just meant Snake. It meant like words yep. with friends or something, right? Oh yeah, um, we we still struggle with that when we do like game of the year stuff. Like we'll have our mobile platform, and you know I'm voting for you know something like Infinity Blade three or something, and everyone yeah, else is yeah. voting for threes. And I'm like, wow, we play totally different kinds of games on mm-hmm. our devices. Exactly, and isn't it? I mean, and I think you probably agree. Like when you look at Infinity Blade three or even the first one, it's just. It's just amazing where where technology has has come. Oh yeah, and and I was so impressed by that game. I thought, okay, well, I want to do what these guys did with combat. I want to do that with storytelling, with three D graphics, um, really utilizing the the platform. And that's if there's one thing I learned from Konami and working with Hideo was that the Metal Gear te- Metal Gear franchise always did a really good job of um, of playing to the platform that they were on. They would always utilize all the features, whether it's Dual Shock or the pressure sensitive buttons on the PlayStation controller. Or, um, the uh, like yeah the like if there's like a camera attached to like the Vita like they'll try to use that that kind mm-hmm. of stuff so um, and I and I really wanted to u- utilize that kind of thinking when when we were thinking about Republic and our first game so that was I mean that was more or less it is I felt like there was kind of like a blue ocean there that we could we could do a different type of game that's going to attract a lot of attention I felt like the scope could be under control and I had this this vision or I had this goal that we were going to be the first game to do true like facial performance on mobile. And uh, and I was racing to the to get to get there first, and turns out that like we turn around and like there's not even any, anybody in second place, and it's not to say like to pat ourselves on the back, but it just seemed like we were the only ones thinking that. So I don't know if it was the greatest <laughs> idea ever, but um, we, we hey we got it, man, we we did it. That's awesome. That's uh, that's. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh man, you know, so you just you just think like somebody's like two steps behind you, and you're like, no, nobody even cares. <laughs> like I said, everybody else is is busy playing threes, which yeah, I, I, mean, I hear well, that's a great game. I, I don't well, know. it is. It, played it. But here's the thing: like, yeah, I would, I would go to like the mobile game conferences, and I just realized that we're we're in this thing for the wrong reasons, you know, or maybe we're in the, in, in it for the right reasons, but everybody else is here for the wrong reasons, which is looking at the mobile devices a a smaller version of a of a slot machine, you know. Sure, sure. Well, so I, I guess we should actually talk about the game. 
what sure. is for for people that don't know what what is Republic? Um, Republic is uh, is a uh, it's kind of a console quality uh, experience for 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 right now up until uh, up until now. It's is a it's a stealth action, three you know, D, uh, story driven episodic game for iPhones and, and 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 Android devices and Amazon devices at the moment, and. Uh, yeah, we're on episode three at the moment. Uh, we've shipped, um, it's in the, over the past year or in some change, we've shipped uh, three episodes. Uh, they're about an hour, two hours in, in length each. And it really follows the story of this, uh, this, this, this hero or this protagonist named Hope who, uh, who calls you on this st- stolen uh, mobile device and, uh, and allows you to hack into this kind of secret Orwellian nation. And then you use the surveillance cameras to navigate and guide Hope through this, uh, through this country as you try to make your way or help her get her way to the surface. So one of the things I really want to do with the game is have players uh, be the hero. It's In my mind, actually, Republic, even though when you look at screenshots, it's all about hope, sneaking around and everything. In my mind, the game is actually uh, a first-person game with he- the player as the hero because mm-hmm. hope addresses the, the player. And I want the player to just kind of come as you are, in a sense. You are not secretly playing as, like, I don't know, Andrew Ryan or um, Jack or whatever. You don't have a name. You are you. And uh, and that's something I really wanted to experiment with in the game design, and so yeah. And then and then moving forward, as you guys know, uh, we're finally coming out on PC, uh, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. But that's uh, on February 26th, and it's uh, been a long time coming. And uh, and we're really really excited about all the work that we've done to make the game really special on on PC and Mac. So, what are some of the the differences there between the the iOS version or the the iPad mobile version and the uh, the PC version? Uh, so the the main difference that people are going to notice from the very beginning is just the graphics. Uh, we've, we've invested about a half year's worth of development time in, in upgrading the game from the original engine, which was Unity, Unity 4, um, to Unity 5, which is a huge departure, the biggest leap that they've ever made in terms of technology. And we're shipping on a beta, actually. Uh, so it's brand new technology, and it basically, without nerding you guys out on terms of like how how the graphics engine works now. Ah, uh, no, um, nerd us out. It's it's cool. Okay, well, it's, it. it's it's called it's a. <laughs> I'm gonna go, man. Here we go. Uh, it's a it's it's a it's called physically based shading. So it's a dramatically different way of of how how graphics are rendered, um, and it's based on this kind of like holistic shading technology shader technology that takes our textures. Um, we don't put in the fake lighting anymore. We don't put the fake detail into the textures anymore. We ripped all that stuff out, and we let the shader and we let the system adapt the properties based on real-life properties, how it would actually work in the real world. Um, and what that means is that we just have much more realistic graphics and lighting. Uh, Unity also uses a system called Enlighten, um, and, uh, which is a much more realistic dy- dynamic lighting solution. Uh, reflection probes, all these little bells and whistles to make the game feel or, just, or, or look just more real. Uh, so with Unity 4, we did a lot of fake things to get the game running on the platforms, but just Unity 4 wasn't equipped as a modern uh, graphics you know, engine. And with uh, Unity 5, uh, we, we partnered really closely with the Unity engineers, and we just plowed forward saying, okay, this is going to be the first truly you know, definitive Unity 5 game out there on the market. And it was a big bet that Unity took on us and that we took on Unity. And uh, so far, it seems to be paying off because people are looking at like you know the comparison screenshots. They're going to see a trailer very soon, and so far the the response to it has been absolutely fantastic in terms of people being really surprised in terms of like this, the graphical fidelity that this relatively small team has been able to achieve, um, which with graphical technology, graphics technology that's normally reserved for larger teams like AAA teams. Mm-hmm. 
so that's the first thing that people are going to notice um, when they look at the game. And then when they actually sit down and play the game, this is the thing that took us a long time as well, which was just adapting the game's controls, UI, the whole experience for a much more PC-centric experience. Um, when uh, a, quick, a quick story about our project is, uh, as you guys, as, as a backer, you'll remember that we really struggled in our early days with the Kickstarter back in 2011. Um, I'd made this stupid move of, um, stupid, stupid or, or I, at the time I thought was, was daring, in terms of coming to Kickstarter, not with a PC game, but coming to them with, a, with an iOS game, saying, this is the game we want to make. And most of the response was, oh, that looks like a, a, a fun iOS game, but I, unless you put this on PC, I'm not going to back your project. And I really was hesitant. I dragged my feet for weeks during our failing Kickstarter campaign because I did not want to announce the game for PC. And it wasn't out of just pure stubbornness. It was purely out of my concerns that, hey, can we really, can we really build the game or port the game to PC and have that be a really good experience? Because up until now, the vision has always been to create like a one-touch, really good mobile experience, right? And the last thing that anybody wants is a mobile-to-PC crappy port. Uh, so we knew from the moment that we, we announced PC and our Kickstarter turned around and everything went great and we hit our goal six hours before the Kickstarter ended that when, we, when it comes time to put the game on PC that we were going to invest as many resources as possible to make sure that we love the PC version, that, that our backers love the PC version before we release it to the public. So it's been a, it's been a long time coming, but uh, as you know, these, these things take time, <laughs> especially Kickstarter projects. <laughs> I think video games in general take a lot of time. <laughs> they do, man. Uh, we we always we always under under undersell or underestimate, you know, how long these things take. Mm-hmm. So, um, as far as like controls go, you know, with the the iOS version, it's you know pretty much one touch. You're just tapping where you want hope to go. You've got an inventory system that you can kind of go through, and you've got gadgets uh, to use. How does all that kind of translate to the the, the PC version? Yeah, so the, the PC version primarily is done through like WASD and um, to, move the, to move the cameras, the surveillance cameras, hotkeys to access their map, to, to find hope, to access your inventory really quickly. Uh, we've mapped all the weapons to the number, uh, number keys on the keyboard. Hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's just a much more fast and fluid experience. And then the mouse, the mouse clicks are where you direct hope. Um, so it becomes, uh, at first I was actually really worried about this, but now I'm fine, is that the game is just a lot faster uh, and I'm assuming that the playtime is going to be slightly sh- shorter um, because players just have much more agency over the world. They're constantly you know, hitting the space bar, going to OmniView, hack over here, quickly go over here, you know, send out hope over here while you're checking out this area. Um, it, it kind of feels like um, this is a really, this probably isn't, doesn't sound very sexy, but to me it feels like um, some of those missions in, in RTSs where you're just controlling one unit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it, it kind of feels like that. It kind of feels very RTSy in a sense. Sorry, what was that, Brian? I had trouble hearing you. Hey, you, you got quiet, Brian. You might need to adjust something. Okay. Please continue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but so uh, so. You mentioned RTSE because I mean you don't actually have direct control over Hope. Um, Correct. You're you're just you're directing her. She is her yes. own person. She's and her own person. Exactly. You're on the other side of the uh, the phone yeah. or camera, as it were. Yep. Um, so one of the things that I I, I really like about the uh, the iOS version is that it uh, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit, talking about kind of your pedigree with. Um, 
uh, Kojima in kind of adapting the aesthetics of what you're working on. So a lot of the buttons and everything, the, the prompts that you get um, on Republic for the iPad or the, the iPhone, it, it kind of looks like iPhone prompts. You've got like big green buttons and you've got you mm. know the phone button and all that kind of stuff. Um, is there a similar kind of aesthetic adaptation for the, the PC version? Yeah, uh, yeah. so that, that was entirely intentional in the iOS version to have players feel comfortable with the game. And we, we borrowed a lot of gestures um, from, and, and, yeah, and iconography from the, from the iOS kind of ecosystem. Uh, for, the, for the PC version, you know, we did the same thing. We didn't really have anything to pull off. Like, we didn't want it to look like Windows or, or OS X per se. But um, we made we made the, the all the icons and, and all the all the pop ups and everything feel a lot more PC like. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anything, everything's a lot more like detailed. And, and we redid every single piece of UI uh, to, to to account for that higher fidelity. And uh, we just I stripped out anything and everything I could find that made it feel like a an iOS game, um, out of fear that people would think that it's a lazy port, and also just as a in just in general, because most of us are hardcore PC players, mm-hmm. uh, we don't want to see that stuff anyway. So even like this really like um, uh, to give you an example, uh, as you know, in our iOS game, we have these collectibles. Like players can, if you steal from a guard, you can collect, uh, uh, you know, an I, like an indie iOS game, like mm-hmm. Infinity Blade, or well, actually, I don't know if that's indie, but The Room or Monument Valley or Sword and Sorcery. And for the PC version, um, I had those game cartridges be changed, the, the graphics be changed to floppy disks. Um, to nice. make it feel more, more like a PC experience, right? And people are like, that's so stupid. Why do we need to do that? I was like, no, this is really important. I want to feel like I'm playing a PC game, you know? Yeah, no, I, I actually really like the fact that in, in my inventory in Republic, I have this, like, repository of anytime I want to go find some, you know, iOS game that I don't know about, I can just bring up the game and go, oh, let's check that one out. I haven't played yeah, that before. Yeah. I feel like it was like, yeah, I think it's one of our, our lesser known features, but it's something I'm really proud of because I feel like in a way we're kind of giving back to the indie, indie, indie community by, yeah, like by introducing some of these really, really great games that just kind of float under, underneath the radar. You mm-hmm. know? And, then, and then some of them you actually, uh, you know, kind of borrow uh, gameplay elements of like maybe making keys. Yeah, and from like even, Blueprint, yeah. even mention it in the game, I, I thought that was pretty... Oh, yeah, I thought thank that was you. pretty funny. Um, but, Brian, you with us now? I'm back. Can you yes. hear me? Yes. Oh, yes. There you go. Very much so. Yay. I don't we know what happened you. there. Shake my fist at Skype. That's, you yeah. should. Yeah, you should. Uh, <laughs> and I had a question about something, and that train is totally gone. Oh, man. We'll, we'll, come, we'll circle back it's, to this. Exactly. Part. It'll happen, and yeah. I'll interrupt Jonathan or you randomly and be like, okay, yeah, I got my go question. It, it was it, about um, RTS games. Oh, okay. Yeah. No? Yeah. yeah. No. Well, it well not RTS so, games. Okay. It was so the I'll, the feel of me, the game is. I'll drive the train and then we'll see if we can get it back on the tracks I, here. I think we can go for it. We'll be fine. So when you say RTS, as far as you've got different cameras, you're flipping around. Like I've seen kind of videos of this, but I've never played it myself. So with you, there's a lot of things you're kind of controlling one person. You said, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of things going on that you're kind of keeping an eye on. Correct. Okay. Yeah, Just and, and make sure that and, was a thing. See, yeah, it wasn't and, a question. It was more like, is am I right? It's clarification. No, it, it, yeah, we just we love the RTS analogy because just like an RTS, you're not you are not that I don't know that that unit that you're moving. Um, you are you're you're commanding them, and then you have to kind of keep an eye on them while you're you're overseeing a lot of other different things. So that's kind of the analogy we were we're constantly using. Am I judged on clicks per minute? 
Uh, thankfully, <laughs> no. But there's okay. a funny story about that because uh, we, when oh, way back in the day, before we even shipped on iOS, we were playtesting with the PC version, and I, I was horrified because people were playing the game like they were in RTS or like League of Legends or whatever. It's like click, 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 and they're constantly sending hope. You know, uh, can you kind of imagine how I'm how I'm describing that? Like yes. every every single step of the way, they were click 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 click, and she's like, her animation's freaking out, like her AI is freaking out. It was like this most like this horrifying moment where I was thinking, <laughs> we're never going to ship this game. This is when the world falls apart. This is that we're never going to ship re- this game. The republic crumbles on clicks. Yeah, <laughs> and so uh, there was a number of different things we did to 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 prevent that. But yeah, man, that was that was terrifying at the time. I, I can imagine that's uh, that that's pretty funny. Um, <clears throat> now, what what have been some of the challenges that you faced? Um, obviously, you know you made a, a mobile game, or or still making a mobile Ooh. game, uh, which you hadn't made for that platform before, and now you're making a PC game, which you haven't made a game for that platform before. Right, right, yeah. What's uh, I, I guess kind of what what have been some of the challenges? Uh, one, going to to mobile first, and then and two, coming to uh, to to PC. Yeah, so start with with mobile. Um, the yeah, being our first mobile mobile project for the whole team, uh, it was it was extremely challenging in the sense that uh, there was no r- rule book, and I feel like there still really isn't one. Uh, and so we kind of had to just learn learn as we went along. And, and looking at the games that are on the App Store, like there's a million apps now on the App Store, and so many of them are borrowing other elements from from each other. And uh, and with our game, we really started off from day one having, a, I think, a, a fairly unique vision for like how the game was going to play. Like the gameplay loop, in my mind, is, is pretty unique. And so th- we, we, we were kind of piling risk on top of risk on top of risk and unknowns. Um, so it's that kind of old adage that you don't really know what you don't know. And we just kind of plowed forward. And one of the things that, um, that we really learned along the way was that it's, it's the opposite approach in terms of how you create console games in the sense that Hey, I'm a designer, and uh, when players press the X button, it's go- the, the the gun's going to reload. And then when players press the A button, the the, the player the, char- the player character is going to jump, and all these different things. In on we well, at least what we found on, on mobile was that it was the complete opposite. Was that we had to watch players and watch them how they approach the 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 iPad or the iPhone, and then meet them halfway. So in other words, we couldn't. There's 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 no like there's no teaching the player. I think these weird obtuse you know, gestures or whatever to have them play the game you want them to play it. Like, because people have these inherent gestures that they've learned through iOS and Android, you kind of have to ask them, how would you jump? How would you attack this, this enemy? How would you do this? Watch and see how they would do it, and then build your game around that. And that was a really difficult process and required hundreds of hours of playtests and just watching people. It was, it was really educational, and I think we've really learned um, you know how to optimize for mobile, how to build controls for mobile, and uh, I think that's really going to set us up well for the future for whatever we do down the down the pipe. But um, that does, was really our, our mobile. How experience. does testing like that work? Do you like kind of just sit somebody down and go, "Listen, I need you to jump from this platform to this platform, but I'm not going to tell you how to do oh, it." Oh man, Brian, it's like the most <laughs> it's, it's the most humbling experience you can imagine. Uh, I will will invite them into our you know our meeting room. We hook up the iPad um, or the iPhone to this big screen TV, which is also going through a laptop that's recording the playtest. And then I would, I would sit there, and I can't talk, and we just watch people play the game. And, uh, and then I would ask them every once in a while, like, what are you trying to do here? And I would watch them, you know, 
I would, I would watch the gestures. And so I'd be taking notes like, okay, it seems like they're trying to attack the guard by double tapping on them or whatever. And then, okay, there's a note there that apparently like this playtester, for whatever reason, thinks that attacking makes sense if you double tap, you know? And okay. it's just trying to see like where the consensus kind of comes, 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 comes in line is, is really difficult. Breaking, and, breaking a series of, of complex movements into numbers that say, okay, well, 65% of the people think double tapping yes. works. That's probably where we're going to want to go with exactly. it. Exactly. But 65 is not like a, a, a vast, not a it's not a super majority, right? <laughs> and, and, and also, like you, like you already were kind of alluding to, we're taking this genre, like stealth action or some of the elements we stole from Resident Evil, like survival horror, that in, in, like, typically take a, like, require a controller that has 17 buttons on it, right? And we're trying to distill this all down to one touch. No virtual joysticks. Seriously, just one touch. And that was by far the most difficult thing I've ever had to design. And to be honest, uh, two months, two and a half months before ship, I don't think we even had it. I don't think, I don't think the game was there. And it was really, really, really terrifying. Sorry, I'm sitting here staring at my Xbox controller. I never realized there were 17 buttons on this thing. Yeah, Holy mileage hell. may vary based on, on controllers, but yeah, it's between wow. it's in the high teens. <laughs> Sorry, um, I just I was I was transfixed for a second. And, and and we wonder why like more people aren't playing like these hardcore games like that we all love like console mm-hmm. games. It's like you, you you hand somebody a PlayStation controller. I think one of the biggest mistakes Sony ever made was the the symbols, the mm-hmm. X, the Y, the triangle, the circle. It's it's so hard for people to remember their placements. Um, we just hardcore gamers just learn it over time, um, mm-hmm. but it's yeah, it's just such a foreign object to ever expect anybody to be able to wrap their heads around it. Let alone the dual analog sticks, analog sticks that you can now click in, like the shoulder buttons. Oh, two weren't enough. Now we need four. Now they have to be pressure sensitive. Oh, and now we also have this D pad that nobody's using. So we're going to start adding like you can you can you can change your items and your weapons there. It's gone like out of control, and I think we've really hurt ourselves in terms of how we're designing games by having adding more buttons as opposed to, like, ripping them away. You, you know, knowing Japanese, I think you could have been in, like, Nintendo's war room and go, hey, guys, going from possibly the simplest control scheme ever to this tablet monstrosity you're going to try to sell those same old people (laughs) might not have been the greatest idea. Man, if only. (laughs) If only I was there. But here's the thing. Yeah, it's so funny because Nintendo... I credit them with like getting that, like getting the idea of simplicity more than anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at what they try to do with the with the GameCube controller, it's exactly what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, it's, it's like everybody makes fun of it. it's like it's the win button, but it's like this big, huge A button, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just like it's like screaming to be used. And I really like that they were really trying to focus the player on that. And then, yeah, then they make the the the, the Wii U gamepad, which is I, I agree, man. It's it's probably way too many functions on that thing. And then have the I, yep. I, they they fell apart. I mean, in a number of different ways, but especially when you when you call it something similar and people go in with very similar expectations, and then you hand those same people um, who expected to swing their you know who who had no problem swinging their arm for bowling, and you hand them this thing, and yep. it's like that's that's the exact all those people that you garnered that you reached out to that you brought into this this beautiful world that gaming can be. Now they they look at that again and they're like, okay, now I'm scared of this one more time. Thanks. Yeah, and, and I I kind of want to, if you don't mind me, kind of digressing a little bit to that, that is what we do best. Uh, <laughs> is that 
I was just having a conversation about this earlier today, and I was looking at the new 3DS. Have, have you, either of you guys have one? I do not. Nope. nope. But I know exactly. You're talking about the one with the, the, the C-nub. Yes. So they, yes. they've added that, but they've also added the, I can't remember, like, are they called, is it called the ZL and the ZR, the additional shoulder pad? Uh, buttons oh god there's more shoulder buttons on it too yeah i wish i had the the new 3ds is over at my desk and i wish i could Uh look at it right now and count all the buttons but it's going to be pretty it's it's like spoiler alert it's it's bad it's bad there's (laughs) there's a lot of buttons on that thing and you and i when i thought about it i thought okay i know exactly why they've they've gone down this path is that they've added all these um all these new buttons and these new functionality that they used to have for the circle pad pro also known as the franken stick Yes. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> that, that, that Nintendo was was probably obli- contractually obligated to create because of their deal with Capcom and, and, and Monster Hunter, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now you have the new 3DS, which is totally Monster Hunter ready. And it's also, you know, coincidentally or not coincidentally, Monster Hunter 4 is a launch title in America for the new 3DS. So what that tells me is that Nintendo has decided that they are going to double down on this, like, hardcore market place that, you know, where they sell between like one to four, one to five million units of this of this these Monster Hunter games, and these things can move hardware, and yep. so they're kind of pulled in that direction. Which I feel like the Wii U was pulled in that different in that direction as well. Whereas in like the but as a company, if you look at the games that that Nintendo's not publishing third party wise or, or or supporting third party wise, but their first party titles are the complete opposite. These are games with very elegant design, like they're like you know the the Toad game that came out in December. Yeah. Um, Mario Galaxy. I, mean, I don't have to go down the list of like their 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 game design usually doesn't require a lot of buttons. So no, it's it's like, simple concepts that build into the most like glorious pristine visions. Exactly right, and it's so fascinating for me to look at. Just because of the marketplace, it feels like they have to support these really complex, like ultra complex, ultra hardcore game like Monster Hunter, right? Mm-hmm. And then I start thinking about you know Apple design, which I feel like. Nintendo is highly influenced by or vice versa and and how beautiful and elegant that is and how great that is but then I look at all the games that are popular these days and I see the number one PC game out there is League of Legends right the number one like hardcore game out there in the whole world is League of Legends that game is so complex and the game yeah. is so complex and you would think that like the game that is like going to be the most popular is something that's really easy and pick up the play but that's not the case so in a way I can't fault the new 3DS for having all these like you know different complex functions I don't really have a thesis. I'm just more or less making an observation, and <laughs> and it's something I think about all the time. Yeah, I I had actually never looked that closely at the new 3ds. I did not know that it had a new nub, and the shoulder buttons don't even make sense. They're they're closer to the middle of the 3ds instead of being like above or anything. The the current right? shoulder right? buttons. That's that is insanity right there. It's and that, yeah. all, all I can think of with that little C nub are the black and white buttons from the original Xbox controller. Oh, where you yeah. look at it and go, just what did these do? Yeah, why do I? Why do I need these? Exactly, man. <laughs> but maybe we're maybe I'm I'm like maybe I'm thinking about it the wrong way. Maybe like these Nintendo purists are thinking about it the wrong way. When you look at the games that are popular in these days, maybe complexity is what people are looking for. Maybe they're bored by Nintendo games, right? They're obviously not selling as as well as they used to. Maybe. You know, maybe they're, maybe that time has passed. I don't know. Hmm. Yep. That is a question Things we struggle I cannot... with daily. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Huh. It's a good question, and that I'm not sure how to get us back to uh, the public <laughs> Sorry about with that. that. <laughs> I was going to go a little of a tangent. Sorry about that. No, that was great. Well, actually, you know that that actually works pretty well. So, um, 
you know, you, you made the game uh, originally for iOS, and the, the original Kickstarter was to, to have a mobile game. Um, but then it's it's also coming to PC, and that was that's been the plan since you know the completion of the the Kickstarter. So, what is it like moving from the platform that offers the simplest games to the platform that offers the most complex games? Mm. Yeah, in a way, I feel like it's kind of a homecoming for the the, the developers here. Is that the you know we, we the majority of their time we spend playing games is on PC. So it's all about, like, we're just kind of talking about them adding complexity. Like, do we really need to have all these hotkeys? Not really, but PC players like to have those options. And so we want to meet them halfway. Okay. Uh, so in a sense, yeah, it feels like, it's, it feels like a warm bath, you know? <laughs> it, it feels like we're, we've kind of come home and, uh, and we, we've had this adventure on mobile and, and I'm really proud of it. And I actually feel like um, the story is yet to be told. Like, the, the finale on, our, on us on mobile is still, still yet to be written. Like once we have all the all five episodes out there, once it's a, available and accessible via hundreds of hundreds of millions of devices around the world in all these different languages, I feel like uh, the, the the mobile version has so much more room to grow, and I'm really excited to see what what audience it touches that are is not hardcore PC and um, you know not not the kind of folks like you and like 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 us three, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, so I, again kind of like recap i feel like especially with the graphical upgrades that we're doing and all the different resolutions you can choose and v-sync on and off and all those fun things with pc it's a lot of fun and it feels like we're kind of coming back to the audience that originally supported us to begin with mm-hmm. and uh, in a sense like it's it feels like a celebration cool now if for somebody that's i, I don't know crazy like me and I've, I've played the game on mobile i like the way it controls can i still kind of play it the same way just with a mouse and WASD instead of, um, you know, a finger moving the camera around. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So you 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 don't have to um, you don't have to go hard all super hardcore in the game, but you do have to use WASD to maneuver, um, maneuver the cameras. One of the the requests we do get is that people want to um, what's what's the what's the term for this? Is uh, it's like an edge scroll or whatever? Is that as you're moving the the mouse? to the side of the screen, it will move the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, basically, so you can play one-handed. We didn't support that because it actually introduced a number of different problems. But So, so you will have to play with, like, with a mouse and keyboard. What about like click to move oh, the camera? Uh, yeah, yeah, we don't do that as well, again, because of, because of issues. Okay. Um, yeah, lazy mouse clicks and stuff like that were, were creating some problems. Mm. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. Um, so... Obviously, the games had to have changed a lot in the last couple of years, but from when you guys completed the the Kickstarter to now, uh, I guess what what are some of the biggest differences that you've seen uh, to to the game? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, when we in- initially pitched the game, it was <laughs> I mean, we kind of knew what it was. I mean, we had a prototype, and uh, and I think we learned a lot about what the the, the core gameplay loop was, but. I don't even think we had this concept figured out in terms of like how OmniView or hacker view into the world was going to work. And so we developed that post-Kickstarter. One of the biggest changes, however, was uh, moving away from pre-rendered backgrounds into like 3D full-rendered full graphics. That was a change that we made, I want to say, like six months after um, the Kickstarter uh, finished. And that really opened up, uh, I think, a lot of possibilities in terms of gameplay and production as well. So, um, but yeah, in terms of like the actual game itself, I want to say that the game evolved over time. I don't know if it was due to any kind of influences, but it, 
I think the game that we pitched at Kickstarter was much more of a gameplay-driven stealth uh, action game, uh, much more influenced by maybe the Metal Gear Solid uh, VR missions. And then I think where we ended up was something where the pendulum has swung way over on the story side of things, where we have lots of story content, lots of like complex narrative, uh, lots of different layers going on, and tons of voiceovers and props that players can look at, and telling the story through the environment. And we kind of cr- we've, we've we've crafted crafted for better or for worse. I think more of a campaign experience as opposed to a a rock solid, you know, infinitely replayable stealth action title. And if anything, I think it's much closer to like yeah, like a Metal Gear experience where you feel like this is this this stealth action is a vehicle to tell a story as opposed to it's gameplay first. Mm-hmm. And, and and again, for better or for worse, I think I think if I was going to to fault our game, I think I think we could have gone way deeper down the route of like really, really, really deep stealth mechanics um, and crazy like hacking techniques and stuff like that. But we've really doubled, doubled down on the story, which, again, is more like how I like to... Those are, those, those are the games I like to play more. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of like where we ended up. What, why do you think that changed from the, the more, I guess, gameplay-driven to the, the more story-driven? Honestly, I don't think it was intentional. I think it would just happen by... Me being in a room, uh, and, <laughs> and what I get excited about, you know. Sure. And you guys have talked to lots of lots of game developers, right? And mm-hmm. and it's a, it's really to me it's really fascinating when you talk to somebody uh, before you know what kind of games they've worked on, and and then not being surprised or being surprised when you see the games that they worked on. So, for example, I've I met a gentleman who you know I don't think I need to say his name, but he was he had like a little notebook and he was writing like. All, he had like all these little minute, like he was using graph paper and, and designing stuff in between like sessions at this meeting that I was, I was kind of at this gathering I was at in Seattle. And so when I looked at the games that he works on, they're pretty famous and it didn't surprise me, very mechanics driven, right? Mm-hmm. But then uh, when you look at somebody like a Ken Levine or you look at somebody like, um, like a Steve Gaynor who kind of grew up um, loving these more narrative-driven experiences, like Steve or, uh, Ken Levine as much as a as a former screenwriter, and hearing him talk about three-act structure and the, whether it makes sense for games or not, you can see that that's the stuff that he goes he goes when he goes home at night and he lays down in bed or is in the shower. He's thinking about how he can how characters will will interact with the game, and then it's no surprise that you can see that I think when it comes to the balance and and, and the pluses and minus of a Bioshock game, the narrative definitely outweighs the gameplay. And so I, I definitely swing more over to, to thinking about narrative and how game mechanics can tell, tell stories and how they can be emotionally impactful and how they can you know, change the way you think about interesting, like, interesting topics. And so, uh, yeah, it's just by, by pure happenstance that you know, I kind of grew up with that kind of mindset. I think it's very much a Metal Gear uh, influence. And, uh, yeah, you're definitely seeing it through, and I think, in our product. So essentially, it's just becoming more and more the game that you want to play, rather than some abstract thing of what you think other people would want to play. It's you're, you're making what you want, what you what drives you, I guess. Correct. Yeah, and that that is very much like a religious uh, decision for for people is whether you are making games for yourself, whether you're making games for the consumer, whether you're making games for uh, the team, or you're making games for other people. And uh, and I don't want to say this is just necessarily for myself, but I just. Yeah, I, you know, when I get excited, it's about a lot of like narrative-driven things. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I mean, if you're working on a game, especially for as long a time as you need to put into it, if you're working on something and you're not excited by it and it's not doing doing enough for you, I can't, 
I can't believe it's going to be that you know that it's going to do something different for somebody else. Yeah. Like uh, I know in I want to say it was like a Larry King interview that uh, with Paul McCartney where uh, he had asked him whether or not he could read music and Paul said no, and Larry was just like how how do you write. <laughs> 40 years worth of music without being able to mm. read it. He goes, well, if we couldn't remember it, why did we think anybody else is going to? Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I know that that's a really, that's a really, really good point. And, and I, I think back to like the, the dark times on this, on this project. And if it wasn't because we were doing, you know, what we, what we loved and, and what excited us and, and that dream of actually realizing X, Y, and Z, yeah, then I don't think we would make it, you know? Mm-hmm. During those dark times, did you ever call up Jennifer Hale and just be like, just just tell me it's going to be okay, Captain Shepard? <laughs> uh, you know what? I think, to her credit, I think she would she would uh, be totally cool with that, okay. uh, <laughs> which, which is a great privilege. Um, the only time I ever cold called uh, Jennifer Hale and David Hayter was on launch day on, uh, of episode one on December 19th uh, and, 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 and thank them you know, from the bottom of my heart. And Jennifer was like, that's cool. And David Hayter was like, I know I'm behind you. And you're like, what? <laughs> you're like, no. <laughs> Snake! <laughs> Stealth take down. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> CQC hug. CQC. It's back. <laughs> Elite. <laughs> Episode four. <laughs> uh, and, and cigarettes. CQC oh, yeah. All that, man. <laughs> well, um, Given uh, just kind of the proximity of when we're talking to um, some articles that have come out in the last week or two, uh, I wanted to ask you some questions uh, just kind of about working with Kickstarter in general and and kind of managing um, backer expectations and stuff like that. Have you read anything about the the whole Peter Molyneux 22 Cans thing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty incredible what's what's happening right now. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty nuts. Uh, but it's also kind of interesting. I, for me, I, it feels like it's kind of just uh, I don't know, bringing back the curtain on how game design really works. That it, like saying, you know, back this project and it'll be done in six months or a year or whatever. Like, just doesn't work that well mm-hmm. because g- games don't do that. They take. A really it takes long time. time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I guess one of the, the the questions that I had for you was, you know, just it, working with people that that are backing the project. Because I imagine a lot of people have a, a different idea of what they're doing when they're backing a project. Um, it, for me, I like I I back a project, and then I I don't actually assume I'm ever going to get the project. That way, one day, hopefully, I'll just be pleasantly surprised. Right. Um, but I imagine there are a lot of people that look at it more as almost like a pre-ordering process. Yeah, I'm getting in on the ground floor, and one of these days uh, I'm going to get this game, and the uh, Kickstarter date says six months from now, so I should have the game by then. What has it been like kind of interacting with the, the community of people that, that have backed Republic? Um, yeah, so, yeah, I have so many different thoughts about this, and I'm curious like, to, go, to know what your guys' take is on, on everything that's going down with the, with the goddess you know, controversy and everything. But uh, to, to first, to, to answer your question, uh, our interactions with our backers have has been almost universally positive and way better um, than I ever expected. And I think we have 
one of the more supportive communities out there. And I'm not exactly sure why that is. Um, there's a couple, I have a couple theories. Uh, but really, there's outside of a couple of guys who just don't, it doesn't seem like we will ever, 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 ever be able to please them. And I'm talking about <laughs> a handful, maybe a, like a half dozen, you know, guys that. They are again, so loud. They're very loud, right? <laughs> and they, they take over the comments. And, and, I, and I love that, like, they're that passionate. And being able to talk to with a number of those guys, like, I see where their passion comes from. I just, I can't build the game any faster, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, trust me, I would. I, w- I want to be done with it, trust me. Um, so, yeah, again, outside of, like, a handful, we're talking about, you know, again, like a half dozen folks out of 11,611 people who backed our project and gave us money, you know, years ago to support this project. Um, it's been really great. And, and they've given us the time that, that, we, that we needed. And one of the reasons that I, or one of my theories behind it is that from day one, we never said this is going to be a communal effort. We're not going to have, we never said that we were going to have like design meetings with all the backers and ha- you guys are going to help create the vision for the game. It was listing ideas, guys. <laughs> exactly. And, and it's not to say that nobody had, like, yeah, they, they don't have great ideas. It was, we came to them and said, look, this is the game we want to make. Uh, we're going to make it. And we really need your guys' help. And thankfully, so many people signed up for that. Uh, there's a couple other things that are going on, and then I want to get back to like the original original question, but okay. um, or the original topic. But uh, there's so there's that. Um, we've also been really generous, I think, in terms of we've been slow, but when we do deliver, we do deliver something I think that is beyond people's expectations. Uh, if I was a backer of Republic for ten dollars um, for the game on iOS, I would be pr- a pretty happy customer right now because I've already gotten three episodes and I got two more coming down the pipe, and uh, it's a lot. It's a lot more content than we promised. It's about double or triple the amount of content. So in that sense, I think it's, it's – I feel good about it by, at the end of the day. And in terms of the amount of time and money and resources and effort we put into the PC version, I think our backers – so far, early indications for the backers that are getting early access to our, our, our game that nobody knows about, it's, always, it's been very, very positive. So uh, to, in that sense, I think that we're doing a really good job. Um, but I'm also – there's other things that are out of my control that are contributing to this is that I think there's this there's there's Kickstarter fatigue going on, and I also think that when people backed our project back in April or May of 20, 2012, um, they were already backing dozens of other projects. It looks like from the statistics that I was able to see, yep. and if anything, they've kind of forgotten about us. <laughs> and and there's we have kind of quote unquote that going for us. Um, I wish everybody was still engaged, but when we send out backer updates, so we send out, hey, do you guys want access to this thing, or click this link, and we can send you this thing. There's a surprisingly few, like a, a lower percentage than I would have expected in terms of people that are actually engaged. And my only theory is that these people are just getting flooded by, their inboxes are flooded with Kickstarter updates for all these different projects. That it's, it's a full-time job to keep up with this stuff. So I think that's also happening as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was caught up in that, um, that wave because this was... Republic was just a couple of months after the Double Fine thing, wasn't yes. it? It was yes. that, that was like March, and this was May. Yes, yes, and exactly. uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even want to think about how much money I spent on Kickstarters in like a six month period. There, it was so um, fun, right? It, it was, it was fantastic, and it also, but at the same time, I mean, I, I get emails from at this point, I get emails from Republic, and I think I, I backed a documentary about um, the. Um, Death of Superman, the Tim Burton mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. and those are basically the only two things I still get updates for. <laughs> oh, so are you are you turning off the other updates then? No, I I 
It's just some of them I just never really get updates for. I, I oh. haven't heard from some projects in, in quite some time. Uh, okay. I would have to go back and look at what all I've backed that hasn't come out to, to see what's happened there. And to be honest, like, we're not even that good about updating anymore. We used to do an update every month, but now we do it every two or three months. And I wish we were better about it as well, but you know, we just we're just heads down. We don't really have much to say more than like, yep, we're creating more episodes. Hang in there, guys. Sorry, sorry, PC so late. You know, <laughs> still making this game. It's still coming. making. We're still alive. Yeah. You know, and it's so it's so funny and also demoralizing when you have you know these guys that, um, you know, are not happy that, like, is this company still around? You know, like, guys, come on, like, <laughs> we're way, we're way beyond that point. Like, let's just let's just. Uh, Let's just enjoy this time together that we have. Let's uh, <laughs> and uh, let's enjoy this ride, and you know it'll soon be over. Like this year, we'll we'll ship all the remaining episodes and all the remaining goods, uh, which maybe brings us to the maybe back to the Peter Molyneux thing mm-hmm. in terms of uh, you know when I when I looked at John Walker's uh, when I read his his interview with Peter, uh, I got to be honest when I when I looked at that, I thought you know half of these questions I think are really good questions for for people like me and people like Tim Schafer and people like you know countless other Kickstarter creators that um, haven't delivered on every single thing that they've, uh, they've taken money for. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not good, right? Well, it's, it's, it's weird, and the way I've always looked at it is that before, like, the, the kind of Internet age, everything was very closed doors. And I think that we're, especially when you look at the way that different, that other types of media are made, um, you have movies that have been made, you know, for at least uh, about a hundred years now. That, as far as you know, coming out to the public, yeah. even when they were just silent films, right. that that has had such a time to kind of grow and mature that people know that process. People still don't understand what goes into actually making a game, mm-hmm. and I think what Kickstarter did is it kind of jumped the gun in that it asked people to invest in something or not really invest to kind of donate to something that they had very little understanding of what actually did. So when people who do make it, when you have your Peter Molyneux, when you have like your Tim Schafer's and you say, Hey, this is what we want to do. This is what we want to deliver. They don't understand that those, that those creative types, and this isn't like a, you know, a, a pass for anybody, but that there is a whole process to making a game. And sometimes that doesn't go well. For as many games as come out, there have got to be at least 10 more that end up on the cutting room floor because things just didn't yep. work out. And yep. that's after dumping tons of money into it. Right. It's just that when you cut, when you you bring you bring the public into it and you, you you kind of put it out there as though, you know, that they're investing in the game and that they're, you know, there's back rewards and they kind of get something back from that. They kind of take on the role almost of a producer where, you know, that you have the the, the one person or the one studio shelling at money and in movies, well, you know, they kind of get a say in it, so why can't I get a say in it? And they don't understand that $10 isn't $10 million. Mm-hmm. And that if they were donating $10 million to Republic, maybe they would have a say in it. <laughs> fair. That's a very fair point. Yeah, it, it is, like you're saying, Brian, it is it is like a an education for everybody, right? Yeah, um, and we're, all, the, the, and we're learning together. Exactly, and, and again, like, that's not it's not meant to be a pass for anybody and it doesn't mean that it's okay. And, and look, I, I consider Peter a friend, but I also, I also understand that like 
he's he's getting beat up for I think a lot of reasons why I think other Kickstarter projects deserve to get beat up for. Mm-hmm. But other things that he kind of he kind of made his own bed, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the mobile version of Goddess that was never I think on the on the table and making it free to play and signing up with DNA is something that will no matter what will rub his PC backers the wrong way. And he must have known that going into that. Um, and and yeah and, and announcing his next game before his game is really finished and the the, or the multiplayer side is behind schedule and you know allocate like t- taking away resources from from the from goddess and putting it into other things are all these things that I think people like rightfully had um, were right, rightfully upset about it um, it's just it's just amazing that it's all kind of coming down like this right now right yeah, mm-hmm. people need poster children and I mean it's the same kind of thing that's happening with like Brian Williams with the NBC Nightly News and that kind of stuff right. Peter Molyneux is known as somebody who fabricates things with the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. That's that's where he comes from, and with Fable and with Fable Two and with Fable Three and Fable: The Journey, there's a there's kind of a narrative that builds with him. And when it came to this, and people kind of buying into that literally, mm-hmm. and when it comes to light that. You know, it's kind of happened again. That suddenly becomes the poster for this whole problem. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's anger at everything else that anybody else would have just written down as, hey, that's Kickstarter. What do you expect? Right. You know, you gave to it. Now it's it's become like Peter's Cross. Well, and you, it's, you... it's both unfortunate and like, but at the same time, you're right. He, he kind of made his own bed with it. Do you Do you think that John Walker was being unfair in his interview? I don't think I ever would have started with Are You a Pathological Liar? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been doing this for that long. I was but I brought, don't I was think of, I, I ever would have gone there. I really, I really liked um, uh, Laura, Kate, Laura Kate's interview. Um, I thought that accomplished a lot of the same things. Um, but did it in a much more kind of respectful way. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of... Uh, that. In, in both paying the man his due also kind of put him up there and said, listen, this is kind of what's going on and you need to understand that this is what's happening and that's why we're asking all these questions. Um, I, that being said, uh, while I might not have gone at it with such tact and fervor, mm. I, I kind of think that really it, it kind of opened a vein and opened up a little bit of a dialogue that you wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, there were trading blows like, yeah, and I mean, seriously. you know, I can't. It, I, I guess every so often something like that needs to happen to mm-hmm. kind of even things out. But at the same time, I I never would have imagined in a million years uh, it being in that same place and having interviewed other people to ever start with a question like that. I've started with some pretty pretty crazy things on my time here, but never like an outright like, "Hey, dude, um, do you lie like all the time without knowing it?" Because <laughs> if you do, let's you know. <laughs> Well, it Is was a problem. <laughs> yeah, and, and to me, what it was, it, it felt like a lot of bent up frustration. Yeah. Um, it, it, as I think John was, I think he was speaking for uh, a lot of journalists and a lot of consumers that are like, after so many years, are kind of fed up with the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And and it was time for, for for somebody to put Peter in his place. And to a certain extent, I think he kind of did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in the process, I think also. Uh, garnered a lot of sympathy for for the man because he felt like he was it came across as he was being under he was under attack right yeah that i was actually the the first interview that i read was not walker's um i don't remember which one it 
was that I read. Um, oh, the Eurogamer one, probably? Probably. Um, and so I read that, and I get done with it, and I'm like, wow, for like a decade, I've been a Peter Molyneux apologist, and I'm like ready <laughs> to, to punch this guy now. And then I read John Walker's, and I'm like, okay, now I'm, I'm back on Peter's wow, side, and I want to punch you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, what a what a crazy roller coaster it's, this past week has been, huh? And again, yeah. I, I, I don't. I, it's probably not wise of me to put a to put the spotlight back on us, but I, I read that interview with John, thinking, you know, there's a world where John, you know, reaches out to us and says, "Hey, I want to interview you, Ryan, about your your Kickstarter," and I, he could ask you the same questions. I think he has legitimate. You would have legitimate you know, concerns or things that he wants to raise up. Like, hey, you promised this game. Look at your Kickstarter. It said you were going to finish this in, like, what was it? Uh, September 2013, I think. Yeah, September of 2013. You only shipped, You, I mean, you missed that date by a couple, of two or three months, and you only shipped the first episode. And you and, 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 and you'd even sign up for Episodic when you did your Kickstarter. You said it was going to be one game, and now you're doing five, basically? Like, what the hell, right? And, like, now we're in 2015, I think this will all be really, really good. I was like reading that going like, oh man, like we got a lot to speak. We got a lot to answer for as well. So good. Now that you've said that, um, are you, Ryan, a pathological (laughs) (laughs) You know, I know I I think all jokes aside, um, I think that's a really, it's a really important point because I think there are people on Kickstarter that have, have lied or have done really, really nasty things. uh, I I 100% believe Peter Molyneux when he says, that the way Kickstarter is made up and the way that it's all or nothing, it is it is very much of the I will tell you anything you want to hear in order for me to get your money. Yes, but I don't give him a pass for that. Again, I No, not at all. Not at all, but I one hundred percent believe that. Yeah, and I believe it too. And I am also proud of the fact that we didn't do that. Yeah. Like it's a and, it's an easy trap. I can imagine it's an easy trap oh, to follow. Absolutely. Into. Are you kidding me? And I I mean I kinda talked about it, you know, earlier in the conversation about uh, that there was all this pressure to do PC, and yeah, if uh, if if Peter had saw that same question, he'd be like, yeah, the next day he'd be like, yeah, we're on PC, yeah, oh, it's gonna be fantastic, it's be incredible. But uh, back in the back when we we're doing our Kickstarter, we had like a whole team meeting that we that we recorded, like we did a video of, and we're saying, are, are we gonna do this or not? Like, can we really commit to this thing? And it, we took everything really seriously because I didn't want to overpromise, and it's really hard not to. I totally get that. I, I mean, especially when you have a failing Kickstarter. Maybe it's even worse when you have a highly successful Kickstarter because you want more money to come in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that is like one thing that uh, that I don't I don't I don't think should be accepted, and I don't think we should we should give them a pass on as like or any Kickstarter when it comes to oh yeah, it's a Kickstarter. You just promise anything to get where you want. No, that's not cool, man. Like you sh- you shouldn't do that in business. You shouldn't do that in Kickstarter. You shouldn't do that in your life. But but how do you? manage both those expectations and then also just the ever increasing amount of money and time that it takes to make a game. I mean, when you, you, you might be able to truly believe that, you know, you can make the game in the next year, which is what you're setting as your goal. But in the case of, you know, in the case of goddess, we, we've got the single player version of that. Essentially. Uh, we still only have act one of, um, Double Fine's adventure game. Yep. Uh, you know, we're halfway through Republic. How how does all that work? Does it, I guess what I'm asking does, does Kickstarter even work? Uh, I would say that I, I'm a huge fan of Kickstarter, and I think it does. It absolutely does work. Um, but I think the story that's still yet to be written, and, and the one that I, I hope to contribute to once we finally finish all the episodes and look back at the whole experience, 
I mean, I'll give you like a sneak preview now, but it's it's very much a, like a kind of a half half baked thought. Is that when you in the future, or we or, or when we look back at Kickstarter, we really have to look at at the creators that we're that we're funding, and mm-hmm. and look at not only what they're selling and what they're like what they're pledging or promising to do, but what their capacity is for success. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, a lot of our backers will be surprised to hear this, and I, which I think is ridiculous as somebody on the development side, but that, guess what? Republic, Episodes 1, 2, and 3, and PC altogether did not cost $500,000 to make. <laughs> it's taken you know, many, many times that to, mm-hmm. to get to where we are. Mm-hmm. And did we run out of our money? Yeah, we, it's, it's very clear that we ran out of our money on, on Kickstarter, and you know, we used the Episode 1 revenue to fund you know, future episodes, uh, we put our game on other platforms to try to generate more revenue, and that's all part of the the. the I, I felt like the the moral contract that I had with all of our backers is that we were going to fight no matter what to get this thing out there, even though the scope of the game has exploded, even though we're at five episodes instead of one episode, um, and and that's not something you can really. It's really hard to tell when you're going to pledge towards something from somebody on Kickstarter that you you never met in real life, right? So in the future. I can see a world where these bigger Kickstarters, like, yeah, you are signing yourself up for, like, the, yeah, like the mighty number nine, Inafune one. Yeah, I believe that that guy has the capacity to see this thing through, even if he runs out of money, right? Even if the game is going to take longer to produce. But there's other guys that have a tr- pretty shaky track record that have, have not been able to deliver in the past. And I'm pretty sure this is going to go over budget. And there might be a chance that this thing might go bust. And, uh, and again, I think the story is still not, we haven't seen like the rest of this thing mm-hmm. kind of uh, follow through. But I think that's, to me, that's the, that's the Republic story in a, in a nutshell when it comes to crowdfunding is that, yeah, we, we promised that we were going to do this thing and come hell or high water, we were going to produce it no matter what happens. I, I think, honestly, that um, was kind of my reasoning for backing Molyneux's project. Uh, just because I wanted to see it, it, there have been a lot of excuses over the years of you know why a game ended up one way or another, and I wanted to see. It's like okay, if you have free reign and no one's telling you you know that you can't do something, what what's going to happen in the end? And I, that's the the same reason that I I backed the um, what Project Eternity with uh, Obsidian. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like they've they've made so many games that have been frankly pretty broken at launch, mm-hmm. and it's always been because of the publisher. It's like okay. So, if we yeah. give you this, what's going to happen? Because honestly, I don't. I've never actually wanted to play Goddess or <laughs> or Pillars of Eternity. You know what? You, you, yeah, like Jonathan, you and I are like kindred spirits because I, I backed a lot of projects for the same very reasons. It's like more of a social experiment, mm-hmm. and to watch that all go down, right? Yeah, isn't that interesting? It is. So, so it's funny with what's going. Like people are so up in arms with Goddess, mm-hmm. right? Isn't this like a morbid thought? That people are so pissed off about everything that's going on. Probably half the people never played the game. Half, oh half yeah, people, like like you know, so many more of those people will never will never play the game. But they're getting what they paid for. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see the whole like they wanted to see either it succeed or fail, and 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 watch Peter Molyneux at his, you know, un, unchained basically. Mm-hmm. Isn't that that's crazy, man? If you really think about it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've gotten what what I wanted out of it. Right. Uh, and yeah, I mean, looking at the their page, it's uh, seventeen thousand people backed that project, and I, I doubt that many people have, you know, of the the backers have actually gone in and played the game. I imagine part of that is is oversaturation of, of Kickstarter projects that they're getting updated on, but part of that is you know people just forgot and, and moved on, and 
Personally, I feel like that's probably the the biggest danger to to Kickstarter is because I mean there have been projects that I've totally forgotten about that you know I I backed and a year later I I find out that the the game's still not out and it's like oh, okay well I just whatever I'll move on with my life it obviously hasn't affected me that much. You know I wonder if that's something that the folks at Kickstarter are looking to like resolve or if they looked at, a, at that as a problem like a long term growth problem. Mm-hmm. You know. Because it seems like this is a very common thing. Whenever I talk to folks that, like you that have backed a lot of projects, it's like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that thing. And I think it kind of deters you from getting excited about Kickstarter because we all had that. We're, we're still experiencing our, our 2012 Kickstarter hangovers, are we not? <laughs> that, that was, it was a hell of a zeitgeist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a big pull. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy like kind of hearing where you guys are coming from that you guys got in at the right time. Because um, there's there's certain parts of that now that are, you know, to to forgive the parlance a little bit, but it's kind of a shit show. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so the, you know we're still we're still kind of it, it's a learning experience. We're muddling our way through it as best we can. Only when you have to muddle through things dealing with people's money, things get weird. Mm-hmm. In, for, in the spirit of full disclosure, I emailed uh, a friend at Kickstarter today asking if. I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but on the launch day of Broken Age, uh, part one of, of Broken Age, uh, the Kickstarter front page had a huge like feature on the game, and that you can buy it on Steam and everything. And basically, it was like this big celebration, like this huge game, like like Double Fine Adventure, that really helped you know elevate Kickstarter to where it is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a celebration, like you know, part one's finally out, and. I thought that was really great, and I basically emailed them today and said, hey, would you guys be willing to, to do that for Republic Remastered on PC that's coming out next week? Because in this midst of all this negativity around uh, you know, Kickstarter projects like, like Peter's project, there's happy stories going on as well. Like, there's positive stories that are going on as well. And, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll see if they do anything. But uh, also Pillars of Eternity, I think, is scheduled to ship in, in May. So. We're starting yeah. to see a lot of these projects actually come out, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that'll be good. You know, getting that, it, getting the positive buzz going on things is is, is always good. It, you gotta you gotta combat that negativity with stuff. Otherwise, people are only gonna see the negative, and that's what they're gonna hold on to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want those. I want that story, man. Like, it's gonna take another year or so, but I want to see the the 2012 Kickstarter report card. <laughs> you know, where are I they wanna, now? Where are they now? And. You know, I want to give enough time for actually the games to come out and be evaluated. Mm-hmm. And it, oh man, I I want somebody to write that. I really, really want somebody to write that. And I'm curious what they give us because I have I have a, a grade in my mind, but um, yeah, it is not an A plus. Let's just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, in um, Walker's interview with Molyneux, he he kind of implies that since the the game's not complete, that Molyneux should basically refund people's money how oh, do you right. how do you feel about that um, I, I'm, I'm not asking a, a refund for for my money just, oh no, just no. <laughs> no it's um i think it's a it's a fair question and i that's a it's a it's a slippery slope okay. um, well i guess if if i were to ask you the same question i mean because i i don't want to say that you're in the same boat or, mm-hmm. or anything but you know, the the game is not done yet, so where's the line there? I mean, if Molyneux says that he's still working on it and that they're still pulling a lot of late hours, and you know the game will get done, do we do we just give them the benefit of the doubt? How how does that 
How does that what not you, work what out? Mean, what do you mean by giving them, give them the benefit of the doubt? That the game will get done at some point. Right. Oh, so I see. And then that... So, it, uh, theoretically, people... If, if you were to refund people's money, it should only be at the point where you say, this is never going to get done. We can't actually do this. You're not going to get... This, I think product. I think where, where you run into at that point is is you run into the muddled water of the fact that when you do something on Kickstarter, you are not buying anything. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right? I, I, yeah, I understand is, that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that, but... that, that those people asking for a refund, they have not purchased anything. Right. They have gambled, just like any producer would, <laughs> on a venture to see if something gets created. Right. And that, that's why they're it's called lucky rewards, enough to get a not... gift. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're lucky enough to get a gift where if they pledge a certain amount of money if they donate a certain amount of money to this gamble that should it come real you know it's like your friends when you go into a pool in the lottery if you mm-hmm. win you've got to you know you've got to deal with each other that says hey i'm getting a third of that ticket mm-hmm. you know that and it's it's that same it, it kind of sucks in that way but you you're not buying anything right there's, so... there's no product you are investing in an idea that somebody will then make into a product and you can say at that point, hey, I helped make that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the whole question of like refunds and things kind of is antithetical to what the Kickstarter experience is, like what you're yeah. describing, Brian, because what you and, and also what you're saying too, Jonathan, in the sense that like the reason why you backed Pillars of Eternity and Goddess is because you wanted a front row seat to this development story, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of what you're paying for. Um, uh, in addition to, you know, the hopes that you actually get a product at the end of the day. So uh, in that sense, uh, I think that yeah, refunds are probably not necessary because um, you're kind of buying like it's more of an amusement park ticket than anything else. Yeah. However, uh, the idea of, of refunds I think is interesting um, as maybe like an evolution of Kickstarter to have creators be more honest up front and maybe take more conservative bets. Maybe that's not what we want, but if there is that fear that after X date the product is not delivered, that player like that 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 backers can request a refund, mm-hmm. I think would really really move up like would get a lot of other projects to actually ship on time sure and we would also force the creators to come up with more realistic deadlines so i think there's something really interesting there as an idea yeah Uh, i i think it would be a a very precarious balance though because it's i mean there i imagine there are plenty of you know kickstarters that have gone way long and every reason that the developer or you know even if it's not a game any anything on kickstarter uh any reason for it having taken so long is totally valid and i kind of feel like i'm still kind of a a peter molyneux apologist i kind (laughs) of feel like you know it's there's part of me that wants to go, but this is what this guy does like he dreams big and then he doesn't achieve it and that's just that's what happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So why why is anybody getting all that mad when he's got the, the track record for it? So maybe he's not the the best example for a Kickstarter running long, but but anything else, um, you know, there could be a thousand different things that happen that make it run long, and they could all be totally valid, and you couldn't have changed a single one. But then if it's you know if it goes over that boundary. And you have to refund money. I don't know. That just seems like it would get ugly, and the the freedom of Kickstarter would be kind of lost. And yeah, because kind of reason... exactly, and like the Kickstarter audience would also transform into supportive and like, hey, do it, do it, do it too. Like, kind of pointing at their watch, going like, hey, I'm we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pull the rug from under you. Mm-hmm. All that money that you've already spent, we're gonna, you're gonna have to like call your 
distant cousin to try to get a loan because we're gonna we're gonna pull all this money back. Yeah, and things can get really antagonistic really quickly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's interesting interesting thing. Like I, you know, kind of close the topic up. I I feel like um, I know it's it's kind of sad to see like what's going on with Peter and everything, but I'm I'm kind of happy to see that Kickstarter's back on back in the in the in the conversation because it seems like it was kind of going away and people weren't really talking about it too much and uh and yeah i think it's it's one of the most interesting things that's happened in games over the past you know you know four or five years it is and and we still regularly do interviews with people starting up uh projects and it's always really interesting to see i know i'm really excited about the oatmeal card game that's coming out oh yeah 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 that thing's huge exploding kittens that's uh that's gonna be great yeah man so um. <laughs> and there's there's more big kickstarters to come like it's not we're not we're not done man yeah uh i, I guess my last question uh, as far as kickstarter oh, stuff sure. goes is how's it been like uh fulfilling backer rewards uh on on that side what's <laughs> it's 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 uh, if you you could probably guess my answer probably not fun at all uh, <laughs> very difficult um so we've 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 shipped most of them, I want to say, but not the most important ones. Um, there's uh, there's there's specifically three three physical goods that we haven't shipped yet. Hmm. Um, one of them is the manifesto, which is the strategy guide plus uh, ancillary book, which we've written. Um, the book part of it, the 200 page tome uh, that is written by the overseer of the game, that is done, and it's been it's been in the can for a while now. Now the strategy guide portion of it that's being done by Future Press, who does all the Dark Souls and Bloodborne uh, strategy guides, that is obviously a work in progress because we haven't finished episode four and five. So we're waiting for those to be done. So then we'll print all those books, thousands of books. Then the the collector's collector's edition, which I think is like a, around a thousand of those, um, that we can put the book inside of. And then we also have a handful of uh, of iPhone cases, which have have proven to be the most difficult for us because of the. And this is I did not anticipate this, but I think. Don't don't quote me on this, but I think it was we have to fulfill like seventy five or maybe like one hundred and fifty of those, and to to actually work with a manufacturer on an iPhone case um, with that small of quantities is really difficult. It's like everybody just like runs away and they say, "Oh, if you if you order five thousand of these things, we'll do them." And, <laughs> and I'm like, "No, but I only need like one hundred and fifty or two hundred maybe." And so that one's been proving to mo- be the most difficult. But we've told our backers from you know a couple years ago now is that. Once all five episodes are done, we're going to ship you know these remaining things um, mm-hmm. to you. So again, I think think everybody's been really understanding, and they understand why it's taking that long because we have to create the content. Content. In fact, uh, you know, John Walker was trying to nail Peter on this um, this point about the making of book. Remember this? Mm-hmm. And he was saying, "Well, Peter was saying, I can't. Hey, I can't deliver the making of book because the game's not done." Uh, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, you yeah. Know, that's. You can't expect a strategy guide if the game's not finished. That's yeah. So we have a. We have I mean, a... I, given that it's from the Bloodborne, like you know, Dark Souls guys. Honestly, they should be happy that it's not like a, a blood splatter on the floor that says "Yo, jump off this cliff." <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we can we can provide that if that's yeah what people... done. <laughs> so yeah, we're, like like everything with our game, um, I think a if you're being really open and transparent with your backers and honest, like things they they're usually very very cool about that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you take the time, then might as well, you, you better damn well be producing quality content, and I think we've done that as well. So that's been like a really good thing. Um, the thing that we haven't really really good about is about communication. Again, we'll go like a month or two without responding or or, or, or writing an update, and that's something we could be better about. Um, it's just like three years on in on this thing. It's been it's 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 hard, man. Like like I said, like we just want to put our heads down and just finish. Mm-hmm. You know. 
Yeah, it's been a crazy journey, and I appreciate you guys kind of, kind of walking me through the, you know, the past few years. Like even in the in this in this in this chat we've had, it's been it's brought up back a lot of memories. And I actually have to write a, a post mortem for Gama Sutra in the next week or so. This is actually really good to kind of spark a lot of those ideas. <laughs> We're sorry about the sleepless nights to come. <laughs> oh man, it's going to be rough. Like those things are those things get really long. So I, I've got. Uh, I've got two more questions, and then we'll go oh, sure. into the end game. Um, and these are really just for me personally. Any tidbits about episode four that you can give us? Any at all? <laughs> yeah, I can give you a. Uh, <laughs> a are, it will be a tidbit. Um, all right. It is uh, episode four will be the most divisive episode. Um, it will be the most hated. It'll probably for some. It'll be the most loved by some. Um, it is our attempt to basically kind of flip the table over on on, on the whole game. Okay, and and the reason there's a lot of reason for that, but I guess I'll I'll, I'll explain two of them. One of them is because um, when you look at an F five episode game, uh, this is a really kind of a morbid way to look at it, and I hope people don't take it the wrong way. But if you've finished episode three and you've and you've gotten that far, then we feel like even if four is like not what you're hoping for, like that you will still stick with us to five. Four is the one where you can really shake people. And uh, and still kind of keep 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 up with it. Like you can't do that with episode one. You can't do that with episode three or episode two. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can do that with episode three. So that's one of the reasons we we feel like we can we can do it. And I, and on the flip side, we feel like it's time that the players are probably expecting or like they they need something different. Um, with episode all the way at, when we got to the end of episode three, the whole design team got together and we said, you know what, we've really pushed the core mechanics of what we built up until now to the max. If we do this again with four and like the kind of same guard encounters and everything. It's just going to feel a lot really long in the tooth. So let's really mix this thing up. We're kind of, we're kind of at our wits end. We, players were, are probably expecting something different and new, and that's what we're going to do. So that's kind of episode four. And then episode five is uh, kind of a greatest hit uh, of all the previous episodes, plus some new stuff. It's going to be a crazy, bombastic uh, finale, and uh, it's, it's kind of like that, that Christmas present that I haven't been able to open for a very, very long time, so I'm very excited to get there. Awesome. So, uh, other question. Uh, this is random side note. How big is the game going to be? Am I going to need to get a new iPad to install <laughs> it? Because it's uh, large. Yeah, as you know, it it's, is. It's it is. Uh, I don't know what the final gig count will be. I mean, we're trying to be really careful about that. Um, I also don't want to make too many promises, but I do think that there's going to be some some options to delete previous episodes. Okay. <clears throat> I think we already have that, but um, making sure that that functionality is really strong in terms of. Yeah, as you as you finish previous episodes, like being able to dump those and and not lose your save files and stuff like that is something that we're going to do. Yeah, or that's, at least we're planning to do. That game requires a lot of space. So. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> and I made the mistake of getting the sixteen gigabyte iPad. But anyway, well, yeah, hopefully you can um, that before, that... <laughs> before episode five. Get a new one. Now. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, but okay, so my my actual last question. Um, can you tell me the location of at least one boombox? Because I have like twelve Zager tapes. Well, you you can't find one. I haven't found one, and I played the first episode like four times because it never saves my save file, and I, that's why it's staying on the iPad right now. Because if I delete Wait. it, it I lose oh, everything. The, the game doesn't save. It hasn't. No. That's bizarre. Uh, I'm sorry. Like, maybe maybe I'll put you in contact with our QA guys because uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound good. It might have something to do with iCloud Drive, maybe. Okay. Um, we, we there are issues with iCloud Drive, and it's something that's been really really nagging on us, and that's a whole other conversation. But um, 
so there's a there's a there's a Zager tape. Um, close your ears if you guys don't know want to know this, but um, well, I, I've got I've got a bunch of tapes. Sorry, but the, the boombox. Yeah, yeah, the boombox boom is located in episode one. It's located uh, in the in the men's side of the dorms. So after you level up at the at the demon server, mm-hmm. and then you 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 make your way back to the atrium. Um, if you go to the left side, um, like the men's side that, uh, of, the, of the dorms, um, there's a bathroom which has uh, a grate uh, or a vent that you can then access, and that'll that you can help will crawl through there, and she'll find the boombox. Um, I've never had a screwdriver when I was at that. Um, I was at that vent. So yeah, you could find there. a yeah. You got the there's a couple of different screwdrivers kind of uh, floating around. Um, you can, there's also a boombox in episode two and episode three. Mm-hmm. If you want to know where those are. Ah, that's fine. One, one's good enough. I can, uh, you know, the the game is is big, and I can actually you, know, you can go back to old locations. And exactly. So I, I I may just do that tonight. You never know. I, well, yeah, <laughs> and it, I hope you enjoy all the the, the David Hayter Zager tapes because those are really really fun. Yeah, that's uh, that's the one part that I feel like I've messed out on is like listening to um, Camouflage Radio. It's like you're talking about how much fun those were to write and record, and it's like I don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know what's, what's cool is episode three, um, you can find a blueprint, um, and then you can take that blueprint of a Walkman to the to the 3D printer in episode two, and you can create a Walkman, and then you can listen to the tapes anywhere. Really? Yes. That is fascinating. Yeah, tid, tidbits. That That is great. I love it. Cool. Um, all right. I, I'm done with questions. Brian? Take it away. I'll take it away. All right. So we like to end this with a little bit of a questionnaire uh, that's more personal to Ryan rather than uh, to Republic. Sure. Um, we kind of uh, molded it uh, after you know silently uh, the 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 one at the end of the, the inside the actor studio, but uh, don't that doesn't get repeated. Okay. Um, so <laughs> even though it's for, now recorded in yeah. live for everybody. Oh well. Shh, it's only us here. Just be honest. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, first question: um, Who is your favorite video game protagonist? Uh, kind of old school, but uh, Samus from Metroid. Okay, That's yeah, perfectly acceptable. Were yeah, you were you as surprised as I was as a child that 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 it was a she, and that oh, was absolutely. fantastic. And I thought that was so cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. it's, it's my favorite. I, I don't collect figures or whatever, but I do have a figure of Samus on on my desk. So, flipping that coin, who's your favorite antagonist? Oh. Favorite favorite antagonist probably Andrew Ryan. Hmm. Okay. Uh, as a fan of, uh, yeah, obviously the, the game is awesome. Uh, I think the writing of it was really good. You know, I'm really fascinated by the objectivism and Anne Ryan and all that kind of stuff. So that, I thought he was a really really effective antagonist. Nice. Right. Yeah, we're flowing. Okay, good. That's good. Excellent. Okay, next question: um, Are there any themes or like tropes in video games that you'd like to see stick around? Um, anything that you think is so good that we just need to keep pushing forward with it? That's maybe not as prolific, prolific as like you know the 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 D pad. Oh right, um, things that you think that we're doing good and we want to continue. Yeah. Uh, this this might not be a, a really satisfying answer, but uh, when you were talking about film, and you're talking about like the hundred year history of film, and that you know filmmakers have kind of more or less figured out the craft, more or less, right? Um, that got me really thinking about the, the games industry and that how there isn't like a, a set template, you know, like some kind of like cookie, cookie cutter type of like uh, uh, foundation that we can use to create video games. 
And one of the things I, I do like about what we're doing in the industry is it seems like anything and everything is possible still. And uh, I'd like to, us to continue to do that. Like, the, you know, VR is on the horizon. Streaming is on the horizon. You know, small little games that you can get like threes, you know, on your phone versus like, you know, crazy hundreds of millions of dollars uh, development budget for a game like Destiny um, and everything in between. And I think that's that, that level of experimentation and Kickstarter and all that stuff is really it's really what keeps me addicted to this industry. And I think um, I, if I would assume for, for you, Brian and, and Jonathan, that, that that's why you guys love talking about the games industry because there's always something fresh, right? There's always something weird happening. Absolutely. This is, mm-hmm. you were totally, that's totally satisfying because this, we, this is absolutely like the wild west of creativity mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. somebody can come in and do something that seems like the most off the wall thing and have it be successful because it resonates with people. Right. And that there is no, there is no template. There's nothing that says that you have to have like those three acts. There's nothing that says that this is what has to be in those three acts. Or, you know, if you want to make a great movie, you just have to put a superhero in it and people will come to pay it, you know, will come yep. to see it because it's all about that dollar. And that's that's kind of the point where movies have gotten to. And we're now seeing that in a almost in a little bit of a microcosm of the way AAA games are going. And it's that yeah, indie space, true. just like the indie movie scene, that's returning to the more like, hey... I'm just going to make something because this speaks to me and it, it's those games that tend to speak the loudest to people. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So we're going to flip the coin again. Trope theme, make it go away. Violence. Really? G- killing. Shooting. Mostly shooting. Mostly shooting. Um, I think I think conflict is something that like, yeah, we look at films, right? We see that. Uh, mm-hmm. We look at books. We get yeah, conflict is, is is, is very interesting, and I don't, not against games that have necessarily that have violence or, or conflict and those kinds of things. But I think our our addiction to like bloodlust as 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 game designers and as consumers, I think is is one of the most most unfortunate things that has, has sprung out of video games. Totally, yeah. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Um, next two questions are, are a little a little little further out there, especially the sixth one. Uh, but question number five, um, you've uh, been making games uh, for a while. Um, you've gotten to work with greats like uh, Hideo Kojima. Um, is there anything else, any other profession that in your wildest dreams you'd been like, hey, can I be an astronaut? Like, is there anything else that Ryan Payton would want to do? Uh, you know, if this video game thing doesn't work out, you know. <laughs> uh, it's which, still know, shaky, Ryan. I'm sorry. It's still, it's still shaky. shaky. <laughs> I still haven't shipped the final episode, so yeah. you know can't can't count on it just yet. But if if things go really bad, um, or you know, or if things go really good and you're a millionaire really and yeah. you can uh, do whatever you want, or if we get we get really yeah. bored. Or, <laughs> yeah, I, I I'd, I'd like to really get into film. Honestly, kind of <laughs> going bring it all back. I think that would be that would be really really interesting. I you know get into photography and cinematography and film. I think would be uh, where I, where I would be next if I couldn't work on video games. So we'll not a very film opening twenty nineteen. Exactly. That's yeah. Okay. Sorry, no I know problem. it's not a super super interesting answer, but uh, as you <laughs> no, can tell, like, it, but it all stems back to um, it's not just like to satisfy like a creative itch that I might have, but like you can see with our game with, with Republic and what we're going to work on next. Uh, and next after that is going to always be, at least I hope, games that res- like that we attempted. Like we, we want to make a game or a piece of entertainment that resonates with people and, ha- and it sticks with them, and hopefully it has some sort of like positive um, 
uh, I don't know, response from, from, from consumers and have some think critically about like an important topic like we're doing with like surveillance and privacy like we are with Republic and other, other ideas we have for future games. <clears throat> and the same thing would be for films as well. I'm not really interested in the craft for the sake of craft. I'm more interested in like by the time I die, I want to be able to look back at my career and say like, yeah, you know, I left this place. I left this place in a in a better position than where it was, you know, when I when I when I got when before I got here or something. You're, you're getting ahead of your, you're getting ahead of the questions here. <laughs> oh, okay. next so, question. Yeah, so sorry. Next question. What do I want to do this, when I die? Yeah, well, this 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 is the weird one. Have you ever seen Escape from L.A.? I've, funny enough, I have not. Okay. The Metal Gear fans are like. I'm going to spoil it. No, probably not. It, it, out of all of the John Carpenter films that, you know, yeah, it's, it's Snake Plissken, but you could probably forget about this one. <laughs> you, you, it, so you could, if you want to, if you have two hours that you feel like you could give up <laughs> and not be completely ashamed of it, Escape from L.A. is not that bad. Okay. <laughs> okay. So just that, that's, a, that's a ringing tacit endorsement from Brian. Okay, um, fair. But at, at the end of the movie, and I won't tell you how because that will obviously spoil the movie, but uh, Snake comes into possession of a little remote control uh, that controls these EMP satellites that the government has naturally placed all over the globe. Of course. And that with the touch of a button, he can send us all to the, the powerless Stone Age. Gotcha. Um, through some means of magic or technology, you receive a memo uh, that says this is going to happen tomorrow. What game do you play tonight? <laughs> well, do I have to play a game? Everything. Okay, look, everything is going to be fine. Everybody's going to survive that you know. You have no. The, everybody's like, you know what? You should probably play a game before this all goes bad. It's just electronics that are going to Yeah. Die. Just electronics. Everything else will be fine. Well, you know, to be honest, we'll probably be back up in like two or three months. Okay, fair just, enough. you know, things get rebuilt <laughs> real quick all the time. And yeah, this, this is, is I'm giving this a lot more thought than it really deserves. No, it's it's really good. Which... Um, <laughs> so what I would probably do is I'd I'd book the next flight to Japan or down to San Francisco and beg anybody who's got an early build of uh of Bloodborne <laughs> and, and play nice. the hell out of that sucker. Cause uh I'm super excited about Miyazaki's next next game. And uh yeah, Dark Souls was a really 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 one of my favorite games of the past generation and and I have yeah just I'm so excited about about him and his studio and and, and the fact that the, these are Japanese creators that are really I think disrupting the way that game designers think about games and yeah it's just yeah so so like so proud of those guys and and and, and just as a fan like just, I just love it so much that's excellent that's a great answer um final question and this is why I said you were getting ahead of yourself um, at the end of our lives, uh, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom, and Toad <laughs> is there with the Book of Our Deeds, um, what would you like him to say to you before he lets you in? Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> what do you like to say to me? Oh, man. Um, I could, I, I, my, first, my first instinct was to say something like cheesy and kind of move on uh, and to kind of avoid the question. Because that's, that's, that's something I think about quite a bit, actually. Um, and I don't know if you guys saw it or not, but we we, we announced that uh, that we're working on a prototype um, for our next game, and uh, we've got like a small team here that's kind of been a bounce around some ideas and stuff. And a lot of it's based on on at least the the, the th- like the thought exercise I do when I think about like the last final moments, you know, of my life, mm-hmm. and like what's going to be important to me, and 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 can we make a kind of a game around those ideas? And uh, and yeah, so. 
I don't want to spoil it, but uh, it's like, can I just can I just get away with it by saying like, that's something I think about all the time and I want to make a game about it? Totally, sure. All right, I'll I'm accept gonna, it. I, I'll, I, I'll I, weasel, buy it. I weaseled my way out of that one. <laughs> Toad will be like, hey man, well, that was a really good game about this moment. You weaseled your way out of it for now, but now we're gonna be expecting gonna a game about it. Oh man! So yeah. let's just say that, like, <laughs> let's just say that influenced by that idea, it's not gonna be necessarily a game about like, yeah, when you get to the pearly gates. But um, you know, I I, tr- I always say this stupid anecdote, and I hope you guys will forgive me because it's it's everywhere. But um, when I was doing, I took a screenwriting class while I was at Microsoft. You know, at nights at University of Washington. And the, the the number one thing I learned from there was something I could have just picked up by like a by reading like by just buying some kind of book on screen screenwriting and, or any kind of thing about writing is that that the, the best advice is just to write about what you're passionate about, mm-hmm. and that's why we came up with Republic because I was really passionate about like internet security and privacy and all those kinds of uh, topics. And again, for the next idea, the next game is I'm really passionate about thinking about you know like our time on Earth and you know what's important to us and what that final moment's going to feel like. I don't know if you guys read you know when. I, I always think about when, like, the story about Steve Jobs when he was on his deathbed. Did you guys hear about this and, like, what he said? Oh, what did he say? He, he was surrounded by his family, and he, he knew he was passing. He knew he was, he was gone and he was leaving. And he just said, wow, right? And that, that to me, was just, like, it just added to the, my whole fascination behind that, you know. Mm-hmm. What's that going to be like? And what does that, what does that feel like? And why, does he, why did he say, wow? You know, that's so weird. So, like, so intriguing. Anyway. I will accept that yeah. answer for now. I, I like it. Uh, but on your return trip, when we're talking about that game, you really have to answer the question. Okay, it's a deal. <laughs> Just deal, put that out there. It's a deal. Yes. But otherwise, you have passed. Thank you so much. Um, oh, thank this, you, guys. Yeah, this is super you know, fun. It was great. We, we have no rewards for you. No, uh, nope. no oh, backers, man. no iPhone we cases promise or nothing. Sorry. We delivered probably the same you know it's <laughs> well, I mean, if you guys want to give out some like deluxe edition republic remastered codes like, i can definitely send you guys some absolutely we would love to do that we just don't have anything for you but oh. we have have things for the listeners that <laughs> well, would be I'll, great i'll take one of those I... <laughs> you should play it i, I hear you know, it's pretty yeah. good <clears throat> you uh... spent so much time there maybe just you know, take a moment for yourself <laughs> i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna make a note of sending you guys five keys for your for your listeners so Thank you, and uh, we'll we'll come up with some weird contest for them to participate in to get those. Uh, oh, very but, good. Uh, well, Ryan, thank you so much for for sitting down and talking with us about Republic. And I had no idea this was going to be a two hour interview when we oh, started. Yes. Yeah, sorry. But thank you. No, no, I no, this has been awesome. I've had a fantastic time. Um, but if you could just send us out by letting the listeners know where they can go to find out more information about the game. Uh, yeah, so the, probably the best place to go right now is just, uh, is just our website, camouflage.com. Uh, it's C-A-M-O-U-F-L-A-J, spelled kind of interestingly. And uh, you'll see like a big graphic about the PC version, which is coming out on February 26th. And uh, yeah, so uh, we're really excited about it. And, and, uh, and hopefully you guys like the game and just give us feedback. Uh, we'd love to see it. Awesome. Well, thank you once again. Good luck in the uh, the next upcoming weeks, finishing the, uh, well, not finishing, but uh, coming out with the first three episodes on PC, and then uh, heading into that, that long haul, the, uh, the, the last final two stretch. episodes. Yeah, yeah let, let's promise to kind of circle back when, when, we, when we're shipping episode five and, and look back on the Kickstarter stuff. I think it'd be really interesting to kind of, Absolutely. Yeah. you know, close the book on all this kind of discussion. So. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. Thank you.